crucial stage. It's not because of foreign wars we wage. It's more to do with the colors blue and red. Too many laws and too much government. Can you tell me where the Constitution went? Bill of Rights is just hanging by a thread. So many people trying to cross the border. And politicians build a new world order. Too many minds are convinced they should be led. I've got to be free the way God made men. And I won't be ruled by the damn Right to self-defense. They say you're safer, but they don't make sense. Dangerous ones will not turn in the guns. All the unions always ask for more. All we buy is made on foreign shores. There'll come a day when there'll be real hell to pay. I've gotta be free. today's broadcast of Tapping to the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing, with all the usual caveats, of course. I want to jump right in uh, here in a little bit. I'm going to uh, bring to you a conversation I had with Dr. Carol Lieberman. Uh, she is, of course, America's psychiatrist. At least that's what the folks call her. And uh, we had a brief conversation about the current status of yay West, uh, you probably know him better as Kanye. Uh, outside of that, uh, got some other stuff to cover, and I want to start right here. Oath, a solemn promise, often invoking a divine witness regarding one's future actions or behavior. Oath is something that we expect our politicians to take. It's called the Oath of Office. It's something that we expect our military to take, an oath of service. It's even something that medical professionals take, uh, the Hippocratic Oath, where they uh, swear, solemnly swear, that they will do no harm, along with a few other things. An oath is something that we used to take very seriously. It's more than just a promise, and a promise is something that's fairly well ignored these days. It's synonymous with a vow, uh, a pledge, an affirmation, words that are rarely used in our normal day-to-day -day, uh, conversations. It's because we don't understand that 
keeping a promise is important. We don't understand that honoring an oath is a virtue all in and of itself. Not you, my fine listener. I'm sure most of you guys, considering that there's a high number of former military or current active duty military in the listenership based on the numbers I see, I'm sure you understand what it means to take an oath, how important, how much your honor depends on fulfilling your oath. Traditionally, an oath is either a statement of fact or a promise taken by by an individual as a sign of fealty. To common legal substitute for those who conscientiously object to making sacred oaths to give an affirmation instead. But when you take the oath, it's supposed to mean something. And I point this out because there was an oath that members of the FBI take twice. Well, early in the morning, on the first full day of the FBI Academy, the new agent trainees, they will take the oath the first time. They say, I, whatever their name is, do solemnly swear or affirm that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that I will take this obligation freely, without any mental reservations or purpose of evasion, and that I will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which I am about to enter, so help me God. Then at the end of the academy training, as part of the official graduation ceremony, all of these same newly minted FBI agents, well, trainees about to become agents, they once again stand, they raise their right hands and repeat the same oath, this time. The oath being administered by the director of the FBI and the trainees will be sworn in as special agents of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. I'm going to say it again. I do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that I will take this obligation freely, that I take this obligation freely without any mental reservations or purpose of evasion, that I will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which I'm about to enter. So help me, God. Is there anybody out there who believes that the FBI is honoring this oath? That the people at the highest level is honoring that oath which they themselves had to take? that the rank and files that are following the orders, that are going after these pro-life activists, 
that if we're opening up files on parents who are showing up at PTA meetings and now are actively attempting to intimidate pro-life activists in an attempt to charge people with a federal crime, the FACE Act, for events that were deemed to be misdemeanors when they initially occurred. Now, we've all heard the discussion about the individual who was taking up for his son. But the FBI has been at it consistently. They've went after other people. And some of the most disturbing things that have come out been the fact that these stories are continuing and they're getting very little coverage. And a lot of people are kind of glossing over the coverage because they're not looking close enough. They're not listening close enough to hear that it's a completely different case. The FBI continues to be sent out. The Biden Justice Department is using the FBI as their personal ideologue thugs. FBI agents conducted a raid of a pro-life activist home in the great state of Tennessee, my home state. They did this this past Wednesday. Some of it was caught on video by the wife of the individual that was taken into custody. At the time of the FBI raid, the pro-life activist was reportedly about to take his seven children to school. The guy's name is Paul Vaughn. He's one of 11 pro-life activists that was charged with violations of the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act for engaging in a protest at an abortion clinic back in March of 2021. The Department of Justice accused the defendant of blocking access to an abortion clinic in Mount Juliet, Tennessee. Seven of the pro-life activists, including Vaughn, were charged with conspiracy against rights secured by the FACE Act and committing FACE Act violations, which, can you believe this, punishable by up to 11 years in prison uh, and, don't forget, a $250,000 Fine. You can get hit with up to both of those. Now, Vaughn's wife reportedly captured video of the, uh, as she uh, qualified it as aggressive. She caught video of the aggressive arrest that happened at their home around 7.20 a.m. on a Wednesday morning. Video shows four armed FBI agents at the Vaughn's residence. There was no effort to bring him in voluntarily. This according to a statement given by the attorney for the Personhood Alliance who is uh, stepping up in this case. This attorney also said they showed up unannounced at around 7 a.m. They were banging on the door so loud that it made the whole house shake, and once they did that, he came out. He was actually on his way to take seven of his children, seven of his 11 children, by the way, 
to school. The FBI agents, all four of them, had their weapons drawn. Two of them had long guns. Two of them had sidearms. They were very, very aggressive. But once his wife took out a phone, they immediately changed their demeanor. Their intention here was to intimidate. Their intention here was to try to send a message, just like with these earlier cases. They want you to believe that you don't have a right to protest. Now, if you want to join the Black Lives Matter Incorporated fraudsters and burn down buildings and riot and carry on any illegal way you want, well then, even the Vice President of the United States will help get you bail money. But if you want to protest the taking of innocent pre-born human babies, well guess what? You need to go to prison for 11 freaking years. At least that's what this administration believes. That's what these FBI agents, rather than resigning their positions, rather than stepping up and doing the right thing, rather than honoring their oath, because this is a clear violation of that oath, rather than do the right thing, they are engaging in the thuggery that they're being sent out to perform. Now, Paul Vaughn told Town Hall that three of his children were in the backyard when the FBI agent, armed with a rifle, questioned them. Now, you want to tell me that's not an attempt to terrify these children? One of the children were crying. Came up crying and said, the FBI is here and they're arresting daddy. Vaughn's wife also said that they're traumatized. They traumatized me and my children intentionally. We will never forget this. I hope not. I hope not. I hope this leaves a taste in your mouth about what happens when government power is left unchallenged. When the political left gains too much authority, too much power in this country, and we don't have the system of checks and balances. When law enforcement and government forces do not understand that the authority they have is given to them by our consent, and they are still answerable to us. They are still confined and contained by the limitation of powers and authorities enumerated in the Constitution. Take up the intellectual battle. Vaughn said that he was handcuffed on the porch in front of his children. Again, this is a guy who's not resisting in any way, had no fair warning, had no idea what was happening. Video shows the wife confronting FBI agents, asking why her husband was arrested and demanding demanding the agents identify themselves. That seems like a reasonable request. Quoting here from the wife, speaking to an FBI agent in the video, I want to know why you're banging on my door with a gun. You're not going to tell me anything? FBI agent replies, I tried, ma'am. Vaughn's wife then shoots back at him. Uh, no, you didn't. You did not try. 
She approaches another FBI agent armed with a rifle and asks for his identification. He completely ignores her. I guess she's probably lucky they didn't shoot her, but the fact that they had cameras on, I suppose, might have changed the They had no way of knowing if she was just recording or if maybe she was live on the internet. It'd be kind of hard to fight that imagery, wouldn't it? Vaughn was then reportedly whisked away in one of the two unmarked SUVs on the property. The family said that they never received official information about Vaughn's whereabouts for six hours after the arrest. He was taken to a federal holding facility about 60 miles from his home. For over six hours, no one knew where I was and why I was kidnapped from my home at gunpoint. It took a good attorney six hours to be able to break through the bureaucracy and find the people who knew what was going on. That's a quote from Vaughn speaking to Town Hall. Video of Vaughn's arrest has been posted online by Mia Catherine. And uh, it is available. It's up on Twitter. I've seen it. It makes me angry. I suggest you go check it out. You can probably find it elsewhere, not just on Twitter. Back in September, as most of you know, as many as 30 FBI agents, of course they still claim it was somewhere between 15 to 20, with guns reportedly drawn, raided the home of Mark Hoke. That's the first guy we talked about. We spent a lot of time talking about that guy. He was charged with the same thing. Uh, but here's the dirty little secret here. The guy was charged with conspiracy and with violation of the Face Act. He's part of 11 people. Do you know what his role was? Why he's charged with conspiracy? Because he's the guy that acted as a go-between between the local police and their group that was going to do the sit-in protest. It was a sit-in. And they weren't blocking access. All this guy did was he's the one who called the cops and said, hey, look, this is what our group's going to do. We want to be able to make sure that we're legal and above board. We want to make sure that we're doing what we can to stay on the good side of the law, but we still want to exercise our constitutional right to protest, not to riot, not to, to destroy private property, not to attack people, but our constitutional right to actually legitimately protest something. And we'd like to make sure that we're as least on the right side of the law as possible. This is what his role was. The local police said, well, if you do this the way you're saying it, it's, it's still going to be a misdemeanor. We'll have to come. We'll have to take you. Uh, but this is just a part of it. But it's just a misdemeanor. That's all it's going to be as long as you do this, this, this. And uh, he made sure that the group knew what that was going to be. And then he himself, he wasn't there. He wasn't even there. He was part of the conspiracy because he actually tried to do the right thing. 
getting to be a bit of uh to be a bit of a common refrain here, isn't it? I tried to do the right thing. So again, are we talking about, are we legitimately talking about these folks, the FBI agents that are involved in here? Are they honoring their oath? I mean, I'm one of a lot of people that tends to think that if you take an oath like this, that you're supposed to take it seriously. I believe that failing to honor your oath, failing to live up to your oath, especially if part of that is defending the Constitution, that if you fail to honor that oath, if you fail to live up to that part, if you do not do at least the best you can in an honest, true effort to honor that oath, that that's grounds to be removed from that position. These FBI agents, every single one that's participating in these actions, do not deserve to call themselves FBI agents. They simply, they're not enforcing the law, they're enforcing political ideologue philosophy, one that is in fact anti-American, one that is destructive to the forces of the Constitution, to the, the ideologies of the very nature of liberty and freedom itself, and you cannot tell me that they don't know that, that they don't understand that. I'm sorry, not buying it, guys. Uh-uh. Try again. I've been hearing Dan Bongino, uh, somebody I've been listening to a little more frequently lately, uh, saying that point blank, that the FBI is, at this point is too far gone, that there are a lot of good agents, especially the ones outside of the Beltway, in particular the ones that are far away from the D.C. office that are just trying to do FBI work those folks should be rolled over into other agencies, and the agency itself just needs to be done away with. Take their budget, uh, fold it in with the other agencies that you're going to send the good ones to, and fire every last of the bad ones. That if these people aren't willing to stand up, like some of the whistleblowers have done, they're not willing to stand up if they're not willing to refuse to carry out the orders and demands to take these people into custody when there was no effort made, none. To, to get these folks to just turn themselves in? No effort made to simply ask them to, to come down and, and talk to them, make a statement? No effort made to even let them know that they were going to be charged? And they're, they're using this, and right now, the FACE Act, the very fact that there's any authority left behind it is questionable at best. I would imagine this is going to be one of the defenses used and should have pretty strong standing that since the Supreme Court has ruled that Roe v. Wade and uh, every other case that came after that is no longer a factor in the American force, that there is no federal jurisdiction whatsoever when it comes to it, that this is a state issue. So if local law enforcement doesn't do anything more than a slap on a wrist, that should be the end of it. And it should be. If you're willing to, if, if you're showing up to protest and you're willing to do that minimal amount of civil disobedience to the point that you're arrested for the purpose of the cause, then hey, good for you. Good job. Way to stand up for what you believe. 
But understand that that is part of the consequence. That was explained to the folks that were there. These were peaceful folks. They were not belligerent. They were not causing harm to anyone. But because this administration is desperate to look like they're doing something, they're targeting honest, legitimate, conscientious objectors to the idea that somehow you believe that there was a federally protected right to murder pre-born baby humans, that they have a faith and a higher power that states that there is sanctity in life, that life is a gift and should not just be snuffed out for no reason, that abortion, if it must exist, should be rare and should have a reason behind it, a rationale that pertains primarily to the defense of protecting the life of the mother, legitimately protecting her life, Physically, not her emotional state, not blah, 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 whatever the leftists want to try and twist it into. An oath. An oath is something that's supposed to be sacred. These folks, well, let's just say they're not doing the job anymore. And we'll leave it at that. Let's take the uh, mid-hour break a, a smidge early. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back after this. My name's Joe Biden. Not a joke. Not a joke. And that wasn't hyperbole. I meant that. I'm not joking. No, I'm serious. This is not hyperbole. And I'm not being facetious. And I mean it. Not a joke, for real. Not a joke. I mean it. I'm being serious. I'm being serious. But all kidding aside, for real. No, I'm not joking. Not a joke. I mean it. I keep forgetting I'm president. Recently, when the struggling Vice President Kamala Harris stated that Hurricane Ian victims should receive aid based upon skin color or race, I was reminded of how stupid says what stupid thinks. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook brought to you by Constitutional Browns Coffee. Of course, quickly realized how you just can't make this stuff up about how insanely lowbrow leftists like Vice President Kamala Harris really are. Then I happened to come across a great response from Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, who wrote, quote, Hurricanes do not target people based on the color of their skin. Hurricanes do not discriminate, and neither should the federal government giving aid to people suffering from the devastation of Hurricane Ian. Is your husband's life worth less because he is white, Kamala? Unquote. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene's statement and question for Crazy Kamala is a perfectly logical response to the ridiculously retarded proposal for the distribution of aid to the victims of Hurricane Ian. I'm Ron Edwards. Find out where to tune into the Ron Edwards American Experience talk show. Go to theronedwards.com. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. 
It is our um, lowest income communities and our communities of color that are most impacted by these extreme conditions and, and impacted by, by issues that are not of their own making. And, and so women. we... Absolutely. And so we have to address this in a way that is about giving resources based on equity, understanding that we, we fight for equality, but we also need to fight for equity, understanding not everyone starts out at the same place. And if we want people to be in an equal place, sometimes we have to take into account those disparities. Constitutional Grounds, the hot air roasted coffee that produces a smoother, richer, healthier, and less acetic coffee. Our unique hot air roasted coffee has a most delicious taste that everyone is raving about. Because you want the best, Constitutional Grounds is the coffee you want in your cup. Simply go to theronedwards.com and click on to the Constitutional Grounds coffee display to make your purchase and to be sure to use the RE20 promo code and you will receive a 20% discount. Remember, Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you want in your cup. Sometimes little things make a big difference. Take the modern cooler, for example. Obviously, a cooler is supposed to keep your stuff cold. But it's the little things, the obsessive quest for perfection, that sets blue coolers apart. Little things, like realizing that girth matters. So, they put 40% more insulation in the sidewalls. It can keep ice cold for up to 10 days at a fraction of the cost of the overpriced brands. Little things, like adding a pressure release valve to the cooler. See, a slight change in air pressure can seal your cooler tighter than a camel's butt in a sandstorm. With Blue Cooler's pressure release valve, a gentle push of a button regulates the pressure, so you can open it with your finger. Little things, like re-engineering a locking mechanism that is so easy to open and close, even a child can do it. (laughs) That's not apple juice! The rest of the industry still uses a thick piece of tire rubber to lock their coolers, requiring the strength of an Olympic athlete to open it. Even the accessories have little things that make a big difference. It's the little things. The little things like the upgraded LED light kit. It illuminates the cooler when you open the lid so you don't accidentally grab an apple juice when what you really wanted was something stronger. Mommy, I'm hungry. Go to bed! It's mommy time! Little things like putting the drain plug on the same side as the wheels so you can easily drain it without looking like a moron. Genius! Little things like having a built-in bottle opener instead of a trashy-looking accessory strapped to the handle that dings up your cooler. It's the little things. Little things like putting wheels on the biggest coolers. You're welcome, soccer mom. All those little things on blue coolers certainly feel like big things to me. So don't wait till you're a thousand miles away from civilization before you realize how important the little things really are. Grab yourself a blue cooler and experience the big difference today. Listen, if you get your self-esteem from overpaying for brand name stuff just to impress people, don't buy a blue cooler. But if you appreciate the little things that make a big difference, grab yourself a blue cooler and experience premium performance at a fraction of the price of that... You're listening to Tap Into The Truth. It's all been done. It's all been done. It's all been done before. 
All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for staying with us through that very brief break. And it is my distinct honor and pleasure now to welcome to the show first-time guest. She's known worldwide as America's psychiatrist. She is the host of Dr. Carol's Couch over on voiceamerica.com. And she is, of course, the terrorist therapist uh, podcast host. Uh, basically, she is an expert witness. She is a forensic psychiatrist, and she is a lady that doesn't shy away from speaking the truth. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Uh, first of all, uh, Dr. Lieberman, thank you so very much for your time. As always, I uh, appreciate the time of all of our guests. I know folks have a lot of stuff going on, but in particular, you're a very busy lady with all the things you've got going on. So thank you for your time. I do appreciate it. You're very welcome. All right. Uh, first, before we dive into today's primary topic, I did have another question that I've been wanting to ask uh, ever since I've seen you making appearances on uh, uh, Sean Hannity, on uh, Tucker Carlson, on uh, some of these other folks. Uh, obviously, you make a lot of appearances on TV. and But when I saw this, what I really wanted to ask point blank, and now I've got the opportunity, what yeah. is it like to be a psychiatrist in times like these? And by that, huh. I mean, we we have truth and common sense that are so often rejected. And, uh, you know, essentially it's your job to get to the truth. Yes. Um, the world has never been as crazy as it is now. <laughs> uh, and it is really, um, it's really very difficult to, I mean, you know, because the thing is that nowadays if people aren't, anxious or depressed or worried and all of that, there is something wrong with it, them. You know, it's not the other way around. It used to be, oh, well, you know, we can fix your problem and it'll, you'll be okay and don't worry about it. I mean, you know, obviously getting deeper into their problem. But now, I mean, the world is just so every day you wake up and the things that you read in the news are more shocking than the things that you read the day before. I mean, that's how I start off my day, um, looking online for things that I get that get me angry that I want to tweet about. And there's like a plethora, you know, there I'd be tweeting all day, um, if, you know, if I wanted to cover everything. So, so yes, it is a really hard time and people have to obviously take, try to uh, try harder than ever to take care of themselves physically and psychologically, you know, getting therapy, getting eating right, doing all the basics. Um, and then really the number one thing is doing something to try to change the world. I mean, that's the thing. The antidote to depression or to other kinds of psychological issues is doing something about it. Don't just sit home and, and complain or be freaked out. You know, do something. I know how it makes me feel. And I know I'm not alone. And then uh, it literally is a professional situation for you where you have to find that balance and it's got to be harder for somebody who literally still takes patience along with everything else you're doing uh, between writing the books and all these other uh, things you're doing, uh, barring off this time and still having to listen to where everyone else is at. 
uh, and to try and help them navigate their way through. So first of all, bless you for number one, taking on that role to try to help people, especially when it's so hard to do, uh, regardless of the political aspects. But then for being willing to step up and being an honest witness uh, for what's actually going on. There's not a lot of folks in your profession, it, it seems like right now, yeah. that uh, are willing to risk the ire of the left, especially given that a lot of the medical industry itself, uh, the uh, the American Medical Association in particular, seems to be trying to push people into a leftist box where... Yes, yes. It's really, I mean, that's kind of, that's an example of one of the things that uh, that I, I looked at, you know, saw in the morning and, and uh, that how medical schools are, first of all, they're accepting people in part based upon how left they are, you know, what they, uh, not their grades or, or, you know, how they do on the test, but, um, you know, what you've done to show that you're like a social ju justice warrior and things like that. I mean, you know, it's it's really, and then of course, teaching uh, medicine when you don't want to use pronouns. I mean, the, this is this is an example. The world has just gone topsy turvy. There is no way that you could teach medical school in in a way that will teach make good doctors by doing these kinds of things. Yeah, it definitely a a time that is challenging. <laughs> to put it as mildly as I can. Uh, all right, uh, Doctor, I I definitely wanted to get onto the uh, conversation about Ye West. Uh, most folks still know him as Kanye. Um, you know, I was just talking to a guest a couple of days ago, a fellow commentator, uh, about his Tucker Carlson interview and about how he left a lot of folks uh, on the conservative side of things feeling pretty good about him at that point. He had just been over to Paris for the fashion show. He'd ruffled a lot of feathers by wearing the White Lives Matter shirt. And evidently got people really angry. And, but then he follows up this Tucker Carlson interview uh, by going on to Instagram and uh, making some posts that certainly seem to be anti-Semitic, uh, gets his account restricted, that he goes over to Twitter for the first time in nearly two years and uh, basically continues to express his, uh, well, not really anger, but his disappointment with the folks over at Meta and Zuckerberg in particular. And then he starts making more what certainly, again, seems like anti-Semitic statements, like going to DEFCON 3 on Jewish people. So I come away from that and I can't help but wonder, is this is this just the unfiltered thoughts of an artist or some creative way to try to get some free press? Or is there some actual honest stability issues at play here or maybe even a combination? Well, there's no question that um, this is he is going into a. Um, uh, manic phase of his manic depressive illness. I mean, I wrote before I read anywhere or uh, heard anywhere that he, that now they're questioning about some of his friends are saying, you know, that they're worried about him and so on. But before I knew about that, I tweeted Kanye West is, a, is in another manic episode of his bipolar disorder, but this doesn't excuse his anti-Semitic rants. Good for Twitter for suspending his account Hope his friends get Kanye into psych hospital involuntarily, if need be, before he does more damage. 
I mean, there were signs. Apparently, he was having trouble sleeping, which is one of the early signs of someone who's manic depressive or bipolar uh, going into a manic phase. And what you're supposed to do, and really what Kanye should or does really know that what he's supposed to do, but he doesn't want to do it, is to go to right away when you start seeing this, uh, these beginning signs, go right away to a psychiatrist. And um, he doesn't want to take medication. I mean, the, the treatment is medication and psychotherapy, intensive psychotherapy. But when he had his first manic episode um, in 2016, and he was hospitalized briefly, not long enough, and then he had another one in 2019. So, you know, he really, he, he doesn't like to take medication, which is kind of typical of people with bipolar disorder, um, because they start to feel better. Well, first of all, because they like the highs. And um, if they were in a depression and they start to take medication and they start to feel better, they think, oh, great, I'm cured. I don't need medication anymore. So he is really, um, you know, going, uh, it's getting worse, which is what happens if you don't get treatment. And he's talking about running for president in 2024. He got a hat with with the numbers for the year 2024 on it. He fired his PR person in Paris. Um, you know, he's he's really uh, heading towards, I mean, it's very dangerous because if you drive a car, for example, or if you get into other accidents, um, when you get into this full-blown manic phase, and he just thinks that that's part of it, that they feel grandiose. People with this problem feel grandiose, and they feel, you know, um, they don't need anybody's help. Yeah, well, it, it is really kind of scary to see. I, I know that I've seen and heard him say and do a lot of things previously that that really made me wonder if there was something real beyond what a lot of people were saying back then was just him uh, trying to generate publicity. I've heard that criticism a lot, but it really does uh, seem like there is a lot more to it. And obviously that's your opinion here too. I, I have, unfortunately, like a lot of folks out there, have known some people who struggled with bipolar disorder and uh, to, to see some of these same things, you point them out and it's pretty obvious where we've seen the similarities before. It, it is kind of sad to, to think that this too is probably part of the creative side too, uh, where he's, unfortunately, he feels like he's at his best right now. And it's really a position where he's and one of his most vulnerable, uh, most at risk. Right. I mean, that's the upside of being manic depressive in, in a manic phase anyway, is that you can be really creative. And certainly Kanye has been really creative with his music and his fashion and so on. Um, it has helped him in those ways. But when you get too manic, you're out of control and you can't really do anything constructive with any of this creative energy that you have. Yeah, again, I, I hate to see it because we we hold these people up, we put them on a pedestal, and then lots of times we just step back and watch them fall. You don't have enough folks willing to step up and, and really try to, to help them when they can be helped. You've already mentioned what you think uh, his friends and family should be uh, working to do. Is there any real opportunity here, though, for him to come out undamaged on the other side because it really feels like when he is more level-headed he certainly feels like while he's 
uh, creative that he has kind of conservative heart and soul. And mm-hmm. a lot of folks on the left, a lot of folks uh, that are in those creative fields, uh, in the music, in the fashion industry, they tend to blacklist, blackball folks that lean conservative, let alone come out and say fully conservative things, or even something as dangerous as saying, uh, Donald Trump is my friend. <laughs> is he going to be able to get the kind of help that he needs? Uh, you know, it's it's really um, unpredictable. Um you know, he, I mean, yes, even when he, you know, the thing that, uh, that got everybody's attention when he wrote white lives matter, I mean, you know, that was a good thing. I mean, white lives do matter. Everybody's life matters. So at first when I saw that, I thought, okay, that's, that's cool. Um, but then, you know, it comes with a lot of other baggage and, uh, it's really unpredictable to, he doesn't want to go to a hospital. He doesn't want to take medicine. He doesn't probably doesn't even want to go to a psychiatrist. I remember the last time, um, he went through a manic phase and he kind of holed up in his, in his home in, I don't remember, was it Montana or Wyoming or something like that? Um, you know, away from LA, certainly in New York. And, uh, he, you know, he just kind of hid out uh, until it passed, but, uh, and it's questionable what, you know, whether he did take medicine there, whether his friends got him to, or his wife. I mean, actually, ever since he's been separated from uh, Kim Kardashian, he's been more rudderless, you know. Um, she was somewhat of a stabilizing factor, even though they had a very volatile marriage, but still she was there. Well, you know, I, I, I hate to have that situation going on and us to have to kind of peel away from it, but we're quickly running out of time. And I wanted to address a couple more things real quick. Number one, uh, you are the author of four uh, outstanding books right now, bestsellers, award-winning, and two of them are on terrorism, two of them are on relationships. I would love for us to be able to get together sometime and discuss how those two topics aren't quite as far apart as they might sound on the (laughs) surface. (laughs) The more I thought about it, it's like, actually, those are pretty similar. But I did want to give you a chance to talk a little bit about your upcoming book, Murder by TV, A Descent in the Madness, before we uh, say our goodbyes. Well, actually, um, actually, you know, yes, you could say what my one of my relationship books is uh, called Bad Boys, Why We Love Them, How to Live with Them and When to Leave Them. And terrorists are very bad boys. So there's that, there's that, that connection. But actually, what that was is, you know, the the. Um, the two books about relationships were earlier on and then, um, well, kind of, and then as, as time has gone on, I have, uh, become more concerned with, or more interested in, uh, helping, trying to, trying to save America, make, make America great again. Where did I hear that before? Um, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, so, you know, actually after nine 11 is when, um, I started, uh, becoming a terrorist therapist and helping people cope with terrorism and becoming um, more prepared for what is to come. And uh, the other two books actually came in between. But in these, as as the world is going, getting crazier, as I was saying at the beginning, I have become more focused on really trying to help people, uh, you know, stay stay patriotic, stay, realize. Uh, realize how important it is to hold on to traditional American values and all of that kind of stuff, not go woke, woke and, uh, and all of that. So, and terrorism, you know, people, 
My latest terrorist book is called Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. And I know people aren't think or have forgotten about terrorists, but I can assure you that terrorists have not forgotten about us and about their plan to take over the West. All right, uh, Dr. Lieberman, uh, thank you so much again for your time. Please, uh, before you go, feel free to share any websites that you would like to let folks know where they can find your work and uh, any of your social media handles that you're still inviting people to follow you on. uh, Feel free to share those. Sure. Okay. Well, my Twitter handle is at Dr. Carol MD, which is at D-R-C-A-R-O-L-E-M-D. Then also terroristtherapist.com and expertwitnessforensicpsychiatrist.com and drcarol.com. But Carol is always with an E at the end. All right. Again, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your work. And I hope we get a chance to talk again sometime soon. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so that was my conversation with Dr. Carol Lieberman. Uh, Actually got together and had that conversation yesterday and uh, was happy to be able to share it with you today. Uh, Had a little fun with that one. Uh, And once we kind of got warmed up, I I do think I threw her off a little bit uh, with the uh, question early on in regards to what is it like to be a psychiatrist today? (laughs) Because uh, we were all geared up and ready to talk about Yay West, a.k.a. Kanye. Uh, but, uh, man, anyway, uh, got a little bit of time left in this hour, and I wanted to get to this topic before the end of the first hour. The Wharton School of Business, uh, a the perennial business school in the United States, part of the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, the Wharton School has now added majors this last month relating to diversity, equity, and inclusion. The DEI mindset is now being heavily ingrained at the Wharton School of Business. Oh, guess what? Also, they've added majors focusing on environmental, social, and governance factors for business. So, ESGB, they're adding the extra letter, hoping that you won't notice that that's still just ESG. Undergraduates at the Elite Business School can add concentrations in the programs to their Bachelor's of Science in Economics degrees, while an MBA student can major in the subjects. Graduates will enter the job market with the new credentials beginning in the spring of 2025. Uh, Quoting here from the Wharton Deputy Dean, Nancy Rothbard, she said this in a press release, quote, We are proud and delighted that Wharton will be offering these new concentrations and majors supported by the school's world-class evidence-based curriculum. We look forward to seeing what our graduates accomplish. Yeah, I bet you do. I bet you do. Now, both DEI and ESG have been the subject of, well, let's just say intense criticism uh, from investors, from academics, uh, certainly from conservative lawmakers. Uh, While the former set of theories tend to promote the mingling of racial and sexual identity with, you know, 
critical hiring and staffing decisions. The latter tends to cause the jumbling of progressive social agendas uh, with the maximization of profits. So these are things that don't necessarily go together. And we'll dig in that for in a second, but Wharton typically places first in national rankings of collegiate business programs with alumni such as investor Warren Buffett, entrepreneur Elon Musk, former president Donald John Trump, you know, shh, the orange man who's bad, the kicker of puppies, the eater of babies, the climate arsonist, yeah, that guy. Uh, the institution is the oldest post-secondary business school in the world. Their reputation in business is the top. Wharton also has tapped uh, Retina Miller to serve as the school's inaugural chief diversity officer. In her role at Wharton, she will reportedly directly align and amplify the existing and exemplary DEI practices to solidify a culture of dignity, respect, and transparency through the appreciation of differences. This from Wharton's dean. <sighs> Students at Wharton already had the opportunity to take extensive coursework in socially conscious management through the business, energy, environment, and sustainability concentration. They already had that. Courses uh, like Finance 2540, which teaches students about investment approaches that generate social benefits as well as financial returns. These classes that focus on something other than the primary purpose of business, it, it leads to a few issues. It leads to the mingling of social conscience with profitability. Now, here's the thing. On its face, when you just look at whether or not business should be able to promote social benefit, that sounds pretty harmless. In fact, it sounds like a good idea. But then you have to take a look at what the left defines these things to be. We're talking about a group of people that now believe it's not enough to just not be racist. Now you must be anti-racist, which actually, strangely enough, is just being racist in the other direction. That's all it is. Uh, Ibram Kendi uh, promoting the ideology of stupidity where he can only define racism by using the word racist. It's like, I'm sorry, that's not actually how you can define a word. That's not how things are defined. Uh, when it comes to the intellectual side of things, Eva Max Candy is a pretty much a lightweight. I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, I've had conversations with some of the uh, more redneckish friends that I interact with on a daily basis that have much deeper thoughts <laughs> on these issues than anything that I've seen, heard, or read from Ibram X. Candy. 
And this is the intellectual thought leader that's helping to lead to how you're defining racism. This idea of diversity means that somehow diversity of thought, that, that's non-existent. We just need people that look different than the majority. doesn't matter if they're actually good at it. It's still better for the business to have somebody who's terrible at business but looks like they are black or brown. May have no idea about finance, but they happen to be transgender, Pete Buttigieg. You know, uh, I'm the Secretary of Transportation because I like trains like Joe Biden, and uh, I saw a train once, and did I mention I'm gay? How would being gay qualify you to be Secretary of Transportation? Well, in this administration, qualifications don't matter. Checking off the little identity boxes do. This is how you see the expression of this idea of diversity. Common sense tells you that if you're focused on the business and maximizing profits for your stockholders, not stakeholders, but the stockholders, that that is going to be what's best for business. And if you're actually doing that, you're going to bring people of different colors and different backgrounds together as long as they're qualified to do the work. What a great idea. What a wild concept. All right, let's reset the hour for the purposes of the folks over at WCET-FM and, of course, to find folks listening over at The Last Frequency. Don't go anywhere. Hour number two starts right after this very brief break. From a blue state clan Taught to praise the little man Told that unions saved the working class He was raised a red state son To love the flag and own a gun Warned about the greed within the mass They met beneath the moonlit sky A college party drunk and high And when they had degrees They said their vows he couldn't say when, he couldn't say how, he couldn't say why, she was different in his eyes. They built careers and had a kid, tried to live like their parents did, but both their parties taxed them close to death. Learned to hate the public schools Watch TV making fools While trial lawyers looted what was left She, she couldn't say when She couldn't say how She couldn't say why He was different in her eyes Saw them years ago A happy little cabin in the west they homeschooled on their farm Making so much more from so much less
They can say when, they can say how, and they can say why. They're different in your eyes. is in a crucial stage It's not because of foreign wars we wage It's more to do with the colors blue and red Too many laws and too much government Can you tell me where the Constitution went? The Bill of Rights is just hanging by a thread So many people trying to cross the border And politicians build a new world order too many minds are convinced they should be led. I've gotta be free the way God made men, and I won't be ruled by the damn UN. Taking your right to self-defense. They say you're safe, but they don't make sense. Dangerous ones will not turn into guns. Always ask for more. All we buy is made on foreign shores. Come a day when there'll be real hell to pay. I've gotta be free. Welcome to today's broadcast of Tapping to the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing, with all the usual caveats, of course. With you as always, I am your ever so humble and mostly peaceful host, Tim Tap, coming to you from historic Roan County, Tennessee. So very glad to have you along for the ride. This is, in fact, our number two of a two-hour live broadcast that is emanating initially on October 11th, 2022. Uh, that's for the benefit of those of you that are listening to the rebroadcast on WCETFM or listening to the rebroadcast over on the last frequency. Or if you're just a few days behind on your podcast listening and you happen to be listening over at iHeartRadio or Spotify or, dare I say, Stitcher.com because uh, the Stitcher numbers have been through the roof lately. And here's here's a surprise for me, too. As of this past week, folks just stopping by TapIntoTheTruth.com and going over to the recent and uh, past broadcast page, been clicking the play buttons and listening to, to episodes uh, there as well. In fact, 
that's usually down near the bottom of the, the rankings for the sources of listenership up in the top five all of a sudden. So uh, thank you guys for coming and visiting me over at tappintothetruth.com. Hopefully you're clicking some of the banners and checking out some of the sponsors and uh, friends of the show and, and things of that nature too. So welcome. Come on. Uh, come visit me. In fact, if you're listening on uh, radio and you don't know any of that or you don't see the show descriptions, so you don't get any of the links there, Come visit me at tapintothetruth.com. That's T-A-P-P into the truth.com. Back in the first hour, we talked about uh, the FBI continuing to bully and uh, commit acts of, well, what's a good way of putting this? We'll just say violating their oath of, uh, of office as an FBI agent is they continue to go after pro-life uh, protesters, folks that committed acts of genuine protest, or in many cases, acts of genuine love to their fellow man, trying to help minister to young women in crisis and to protect the lives of those as of yet pre-born human babies uh, that, uh, you know, they're just trying to protect. Also had a conversation with Dr. Carol Lieberman, America's psychiatrist. We talked a little bit about the current uh, situation with Ye West, better known as Kanye West by most of you. And, you know, it was an interesting conversation. I wish I'd had a little more time to kind of prepare because I felt like no matter what I what I was going to say, that somehow it wasn't adequate enough, that it didn't live up to the... Uh, the seriousness of the conversation and the appropriateness of the guest, because uh, I've been very impressed with Carol Lieberman's appearances uh, on uh, several of the shows that I have seen her on at various times, various occasions, and not to mention the fact that I, now I've had a chance to listen to some of the podcasts, uh, the uh, the uh, terrorist uh, psychiatrist uh, podcast. Yeah, phenomenal. In fact, I highly suggest you follow the link she offered up and, and to go look for it because she does a great job. Uh, anyway, uh, let's get back into the action because while we've been talking about some of this stuff, ultimately we're still talking about fighting the culture war. We talked a little bit about how Wharton School of Business, over part of the University of Pennsylvania, the number one business school in the world, is now offering majors in the diversity uh, field as well as, you know, the diversity, inclusivity uh, stuff, as well as the uh, the ESG stuff. And the fact that they're trying to infuse that so deeply into what young business minds are going to be thinking, they're missing the whole point of business, and that is to make a profit so that you can maximize the lifting up of people out of poverty. That is the one positive thing that capitalism, that free market economies, manage to do better than any other system on the planet. But it still comes down to the culture war. And one of the bigger aspects of the culture, right now, culture war right now at this moment is what they're doing to children, to minors, when it comes to their so-called, and I'm going to do the air quotes because so, that works so great on radio and for podcast purposes, it's not on video, gender-affirming medical treatments. 
they're causing harm to children. Now, if you are 18 years of age and you are making choices for yourself, you, you, you are an adult, you're acting like an adult, and you feel like this is the path you want to take, then that's on you. Your choice to make. I don't have a dog in that fight. You might be surprised to find out how many other conservatives feel the same way. It's like once you are to that point, as long as you are an adult and you're responsible for yourself and you're taking that responsibility for yourself, hey, you do you. Don't try to force me to engage in activities that deny reality, but you do what you feel like you need to do. The problem here is when you're doing this to children, these children are being manipulated. These children are being convinced at earlier and earlier ages, you know, at a point in time when they have such absolute trust in the adult figures in their life that they just accept what people are telling them. When you're trying to confuse and conflate these gender identity roles into the mindset of these young impressionable children that want to believe you. They want to believe in Santa Claus. They want to believe in the tooth fairy. So these terrible things, and I was listening to uh, a lady talking about an incident that had occurred when she was actually, you know, it's a he said, she said, it's one of those down the line stories. But this lady is a genuine reporter. And she said in the process of talking to one of the activists who have since been arrested for standing up against uh, school boards that are trying to force uh, ridiculous gender ideology books into their school library. She said that she had no idea what was going on in her school until terrifyingly it came home and she realized that her daughter was being traumatized at school, had no idea what was being done. She had an eight-year-old girl who went to class and had been told by her teacher that, uh, yeah, well, right now you're a little girl, but you, you can become a boy. You, you, you have that ability. It's your choice. And one evening she had went in, was taking a, a shower, and got her hair wet, and so her hair kind of flattened down back and just changed her look so drastically that her daughter caught a look of herself in the mirror and suddenly thought that she looked like a boy. And she just started freaking out. She honestly believed, because of what this teacher had told her, she honestly believed that she had just accidentally transformed into a boy. This is the kind of nonsense that's being foisted on children that they're supposed to be responsible for. They're supposed to be educating, not indoctrinating, and not trying to intellectually manipulate. She's just supposed to be educating. Why is that such a hard role? Why is that so difficult for these people to understand? Once upon a time, you were hard-pressed to find a teacher that wanted to do anything more than just teach. It's like, the rest is up to the parents. Don't even ask me to do it. And rightfully so, not because there's no room for it, but because it's just not the job. The parents have responsibilities, and the parents have rights. The teachers, the administrators, the state government at any level, they do not have the right to get in between those. 
Thank goodness that more and more people are standing up trying to put an end to this, and it seems to be working. And we've seen the success at places like Vanderbilt uh, University Hospital. Again, another crazy thing happening here in my home state, but you know they're out there, uh, out in Nashville, where uh, a few more Dems are running things than uh, than out here in my neck of the woods. But uh, there's still just not enough. And the powers that be, forces like the American Medical Association and uh, other groups, they're trying to deny the simple facts. One of the things you're going to hear is the claims that these scientific studies show clear mental health benefits of these so-called gender-affirming medical treatments for trans-identifying youth. Well, it turns out that all these claims are, I'm going to be diplomatic and say that they're exaggerated, and they're definitely uh, misleading. Again, I'm trying very hard to be diplomatic in this case because I don't want to turn off anybody that might actually be listening here. But uh, Laura Sepor, I believe that's the pronunciation. Uh, if that's not uh, correct, then I apologize, uh, Laura. But uh, they are a fellow with the Manhattan Institute. They found that claims of casually, casually frequently cited by news outlets are not supported by evidence, causality, and that some of the studies commonly touted as demonstrating positive mental health outcomes, well, they show no or possibly even negative association between hormones and mental health. In a recent article that was published in uh, Reality's Last Stand, which is a pretty good read, it's a popular sub-stack dedicated to the sex and gender debate. Uh, it uh, was responded to a January Psychology Today article by activist researcher Dr. Jack Turbin, which is cited widely among the trans activists to support the medical transition in minors argument. Well, Turbin's article referenced 16 different studies that purportedly show so-called gender-affirming care for trans youth, uh, quoting here, results in favorable mental health outcomes. Now, I don't even have to have read this to know that that's BS. I've talked to enough people that generally work in the field, and I've talked to enough folks that are part of the detransitioning uh, movement now to know that that's a bunch of fluff. It's the same thing as the type of science that brings you man-caused climate change is destroying everything and, and the world is already gone. You know, we're about six years too late to save the planet at this point. And yet we keep pushing uh, that deadline date further and further down the road, despite the fact we're not doing all the things that Al Gore wanted us to do. Quoting here, the language of results in can easily lead the reader to believe that hormonal interventions cause improved mental health. Well, seems that that's a bit much. Now again, Sapar, who is concerned that activists use articles like turbans to kind of chill the debate on the healthcare needs of transgender youth, basically wants to make the point that when you say that this results in, you folks just want to believe it. The left certainly does. They want you to not question 
their version of science. And it's funny that they have a version. Their idea of science is a lot like their idea of truth. You know, there's no such thing as objective truth. There's only subjective truth. There's no truth but my truth. Well, bad news, boys and girls. If your truth doesn't mesh with the reality that the rest of us are experiencing, then it's not really truth. Okay? I, I've used the example before. My dad hated 401ks because he had invested in a 401k uh, program at a company that he was working at, and the unfortunate side effect here is that the company uh, had hired uh, somebody that was overseeing the program that was corrupt, and he was funneling all the the 401k funds from the employees into a business that was technically. Uh, he was part of the group that owned it, and it was going to be this huge, great investment. And in fact, uh, they skipped town once they got to a certain point and knew they weren't going to be able to continue the fraud anymore. So all their money was gone. The guy was gone. They were off to a country with uh, uh, no ability to uh, extradite them back into the States. And so from then on, in his mind, his truth was 401ks are evil. Now, he had a bad experience. I can't deny that he had a bad experience, but it's not typical of 401ks. Therefore, his truth is not the truth. It was true enough for him that you weren't going to be able to change his ideas. You're going to be able to change anything as far as he was concerned. That's what he believed. We run into that kind of thing a lot with the left. They want young people to believe that their truth means more than the truth. Because the truth is a tool of misogynistic white supremacy, which is actually a legitimate thing that we have heard these people say. And it's not something I just made up. Now, despite being fresh out of residency and having far less clinical experience than many other experts, calling for more cautious approach managing gender dysphoria in youth, Turbin is widely and frequently quoted by popular mainstream outlets as an authority, basically meaning that Turbin's young, idealistic, and probably one of the recent uh, graduates who've been told, uh, ferreted out before even being allowed into medical school, having to prove his social justice bona fides. Quotation again here from uh, Sapar. Again, S-A-P-I-R. If I'm mispronouncing your name, I apologize. I, not that I expect this person to actually hear the show. But anyway, uh, Dr. Jack Turbin is one of the leading proponents of the controversial protocol known as gender-affirming care and has been outspoken in the American media promoting puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones to manage gender-related distress in youth. Spare broke down the 16 studies that Turbin relies on in determining that Turbin oversold or misrepresented the strength of evidence in order to mislead his readers into embracing the controversial gender information protocols. Several of the studies were short-term follow-ups, which by definition cannot capture long-term feelings about medical transition. So let me re revisit that wording. Let me revisit. Turbin oversold 
or misrepresented. That's a very, very diplomatic way of saying that uh, he exaggerated and lied. If you're misrepresenting something, you're trying to take something that sounds true and giving yourself a little nugget so you can defend yourself later when everybody finds out the truth, if they do, but that you know you're lying. Sapar didn't want to call Turban a liar, so very diplomatically said that Turban's oversold or misrepresented. Very diplomatic. But here, we're going to dig past that spin, that political nicety, that diplomacy. We're going to call it what it is, exaggerations and lies. That's what that means. Two of the most frequently cited studies are from scientists in the Netherlands who developed the so-called Dutch Protocol. But the Dutch Protocol differs from the American gender-affirming model in that it involves heavily screening candidates. Can't just show up one day and say, oh, I think I might be a girl. Dude, you're clearly a guy. No, I think I might be a girl. Okay, well, here you go. Start taking these pills and, uh, you know, in a couple of months after taking these hormone, uh, cross-sex hormone therapies, uh, we'll start talking about the medical uh, uh, extreme responses that we can do, you know, the uh, chemical castrations and the surgical mutilations. Well, we'll see how you feel about those in a little bit. But by upping your soy and upping your estrogen doses there, dude, you'll probably feel like you should do that. Plus, we're going to keep pumping you full of these crazy ideas and notions. Yep, that's what we're going to do. The American approach is designed to reduce what they call gatekeeping. Now, what I would call it what I think most reasonable Americans would call it is actual health care, which sometimes means psychiatry, or at least psychology, uh, an effort to get to the root cause of your gender dysphoria, uh, to actually, at this point, be able to give a diagnosis of whether or not you actually have gender dysphoria. Because let's face it, we have seen this grow to a point that we know for a fact, point blank, that there is a social contagion at play here, and it has nothing to do with actually having gender dysphoria. Most of these people are going to be at the front of the line needing to detransition because they never should have transitioned in the first place. Shoot, most of the people that legitimately have gender dysphoria should never, quote, transition, which makes all this such ridiculous bunk, and it's all an effort to confuse people, to control the population, and uh, to put money in the pockets of people that are going to be able to uh, take advantage of the manipulation that they're doing to these folks that are suffering from gender dysphoria. Again, the American approach is designed to reduce gatekeeping by entreating clinicians to deferring to the patient's own self-diagnosis. In other words, don't ask a trained medical professional, don't ask a trained psychiatrist who is a medical doctor, if you're a psychiatrist, don't ask 
someone who's actually qualified to render a legitimate diagnosis, what might actually be happening, to evaluate you. Don't, no, just don't. We can't do that. No, no, no. That's, that's going to put too many pinholes into the, the theory that this sexual identity, this gender identity is actually a thing at all. We can't have that. We need as many different ways to divide the American people as we can possibly get. Otherwise, we can't keep them fighting with one another. Uh, they'll figure out what we're up to, and then the jig will be up. So we got to keep as many different boxes uh, with as many different labels on them as we can maintain and stick as many different people in them. We can't have a return to common sense. We can't have a return to actual medical care. And we certainly can't have a return to the idea that America is the place where, regardless of your color, your religion, and your background, that you have the same ability to be successful as long as you're willing to take responsibility for yourself and put in the work. And, oh yeah, when you fall down, pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and go back to work. If you've got that mindset... If you've got that willingness to do those things, no one can stop you from being successful in this country unless we keep going down this road. In the U.S., most pediatric patients referred to gender clinics today appear to be females with no prepubitory history of dysphoria and very high rates of mental health problems. So before. Uh, going into puberty, uh, no, no signs of this for you. None. So what is the deal here? Again, trending trans is a phrase that I first heard talking to one of the guests that is an expert in this field. Before we started hearing the, the phrase social contagion when it comes to this, Trending trans was a popular, uh, more non-diplume. Anyway, back to quoting here. The more the validity of the Dutch study is played up, and by extension, the selection criteria for hormones made stringent, the less applicable its findings to the majority of those who seek medical transitions today. Meaning that the more you try to use the Dutch study as your your rationale for your uh, your argument here, the less it applies to what's going on here in the states. So basically, once again, with just a little bit of analysis with the data that's made available, data that we all have access to, data that any one of us could look at, could read, and actually. <laughs> Surprisingly enough, if you can read above a fifth grade level, most likely you could make sense of all of it and follow it so you can see for yourself. But but people like Turbin count on you not being willing to put in that effort, not being willing to do your own research, not being willing to use your brain, as I usually say at the end of the broadcast. You know, the things you have to be able to do. Uh, Engage in some critical thinking. Turn on your bovine excrement meter and start learning to see through it when people are trying to spin their way through a conversation and learn to do research for yourself. If you're able to do those things, then people like Turbin can't manipulate you into thinking that, oh, well, it's good for children to do this to them. It's not. 
Most of the actual scientific evidence suggests just the opposite. But the whole thing here is they're, they're building their whole argument on something that's far more shaky than a house of cards. Using the Dutch study, but ignoring the fact that the Dutch were very selective about who they put into their program, and that that's the opposite of what we do. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? The simple analysis of the information available tells you point blank their argument is fluff. And again, that's me being very diplomatic and very kind. There's a lot of more harsh words that would be more accurate. But I am still being rebroadcast on terrestrial radio. So I'll not be using those. Because of the highly selective vetting process, the Dutch studies were shown to have selection bias. They already knew going in that the people that were entering their study were more likely to respond favorably to the hormone treatment. That was part of the selective vetting process. For the research on puberty blockers, the Dutch team excluded from the outset cases that would have cast doubt onto the safety or the efficacy of puberty blockers. It's, it's hard to imagine a more obvious example of selection bias. The intention here of the Dutch model was to select people that are likely to respond well to the treatments, not to just randomly say, okay, you, you, and you, here we go. It was never their intent. And although the Dutch studies are characterized by Turban as following different, if overlapping, groups, they actually used the same uh, cohort and, and followed up after only 18 months, meaning that they really didn't even have long-term results there. 18 months? Uh, well, it's been about a year, and yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. Okay, what about two years later? Well, you said 18 months, that's more than a year. Yeah, it's not 24 months, is it? It's not 36 months. What about 48 months? Had we looked at the five-year mark? Oh, yeah, because at about five years after any of these treatments, the number of how many of these folks are still left alive starts diving to an extremely scary low number because of the extremely high suicidal rate. This is the only group of people on the planet that has a higher suicide rate than our veterans returning from active combat. People who are straight up suffering from legit PTSD are coping better than the people that are trying to deal with the results of these therapies. Anyway, back to quoting. Uh, this time frame is hardly enough to pick up on whether the procedures are ultimately to the benefit of the patients. Two studies found that the average time to regret is around 10 years. And keep in mind that almost all of the data in these studies comes from those who transitioned as adults and were gathered before the affirming model and its 
hostility to safeguards became widespread. Another issue that was pointed out with these studies, Turbin cited is one of the confounding factors. That's a quotation. Many of the studies that were designed to find out whether medical transition improves mental health could not adequately do so because the patients were also receiving psychiatric medication, counseling, and coming from a supportive family environment. All these things that are independently shown to improve mental health. So if people are getting all these other positive things around them, there is little evidence that you can point at and say, well, clearly it was these treatments. When it's far more likely to have been a combination of these other things. Replication, getting the same results. When an experiment is repeated, it's extremely important in science. It's part of the scientific method. Consistent, repeatable results. That's when you can start saying with some level of certainty that this is what the science says. Replication. One of the key ways scientists build confidence in the validity of their research is replication. The results of the Dutch studies still have never been replicated, and the only attempt to do so by researchers in the UK yielded very different conclusions. The 2021 British study, uh, those results actually found increases in internalizing problems and body dissatisfaction uh, following puberty suppression, uh, this according to the reports. The fact that the team of researchers in the UK tried to apply the eligibility criteria and treatment protocols of the Dutch team uh, to a uh, cohort with similar characteristics but failed to observe the same outcome substantially weakens the claim of the original study, meaning that it shouldn't be used as the basis for anybody's argument that this is a good thing. Now, Turban, he seems to find small sample sizes to be a problem only in studies whose results weaken confidence in the gender-affirming model. Perfectly okay with them when they support what he wants you to think, but, uh, you know, if it kind of comes out pointing that he might be wrong, then, well, that is too small a sample size to say that it has any impact. It appears that sample size is only flagged as an issue when results don't support Turbin's favored conclusion. The good demonstration of his confirmation bias, I would say, but, you know, don't take my word for it. Don't take the word of others who have looked into his, I'm using air quotes again, work. Now, Turbin also likes to say that all experts agree with the gender-affirming model, a statement that's only true if you define expert as somebody that agrees with me. If you define expert in no true Scotsman-like fashion as only someone who agrees with Turbin. While health authorities in Sweden, Finland, and the UK have 
unanimously concluded after systematic reviews of evidence for puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones that the risk and uncertainties outweigh any known benefits, they have moved away from youth. A 2019 Finnish study cited by Turbin was used in a Wired article by Grace uh, Huskins to promote the unfounded belief that gender-affirming hormones are effective suicide prevention. Dr. Uh, Kalatala? Uh, again, I, I K-A-I-T-I-A-L-A. Uh, the lead author of the study. Uh, completely rejected Huckins' interpretation of the study. Grace is over here writing for Wired saying, oh, see here, uh, this proves. And then the lead author of the study that they cited says, mm, that's not what we said here. And Huckins' piece, which is a, a total mischaracterization of the research, said, uh, uh, the, the lead doctor said that we said practically the opposite. Gender-affirming hormones did not reduce psychiatric problems or improve the adolescent's functional level. Another study that Turbin cited in his article was conducted by researchers at the University of Washington. But in August, it was revealed that the school deliberately withheld information that would damage its reputation and public standing. UW Medicine was caught distorting the results of a study on gender-affirming care outcomes. Researchers at uh, UW Medicine found that the use of puberty blockers and hormones didn't improve the mental health of trans-identified teens, but published a study claiming that it did. Internal emails. Internal emails revealed that when the researchers were caught, officials at UW Medicine and Seattle Children's Hospital advised each other against correcting the misinformation that they had put out. They still didn't want to back down. They said as much. Now, thanks to the science journals, Jesse Seagal and Jason Renz, we now have confirmation that the University of Washington knew that the study did not, in fact, find any causality, but covered up its inconvenient facts due to the warm glow of positive media coverage. They just, they have to signal their virtue because they have none that they can actually demonstrate. When the media touts studies that only track outcomes for a, a period of sometimes as low as a few months, but then claim that gender-affirming hormones and surgeries are medically necessary and life-saving, well, there's, there's a lot of room there for, for skepticism. And if we don't have a healthy dose of it, we end up seeing the things that are happening to, happening to our children right now. 
Short-term follow-up studies for gender-related surgeries in adults typically showing a low rate of regret, somewhere around 1%, have very short follow-up times and often ask very narrow questions. They don't really want to get the answer that they don't want to get. So they go out of their way to make sure that the questions can only be answered a certain way. And then they don't follow up long enough to see if the people change their minds. For example, they may ask questions about satisfaction with the results of the surgery rather than satisfaction overall with the medical transition. It can be very well interpreted. Uh, did the doctors do a good job? Did the nurses take care of you? Did you like the jello they brought you in recovery? Those those are your satisfaction with the results of the surgery questions. But how do you feel about the transition? How do you feel about being chemically castrated? How do you feel about being surgically mutilated? That's the question that should be asked. They're never going to ask that question. These studies are not applicable to teenagers, but are often used to dismiss requests for caution in allowing minors to medically transition. So, you know, what, what, do you got, what do you want to stop the kids for? One long-term study on adults in Sweden shows that 10 to 15 years after the so-called sex reassignment surgery, the suicide rate of those patients was 19 times higher than of comparable peers. To date, no long-term studies on minors transitioned under the gender-affirming approach exist. There's no way for it to. It's pretty much a relatively new phenomenon. It's new. This is exactly the kind of thing that the medical profession does not want you to know. By gosh, we have got to spread the word. You got to stay right where you're at. We're going to have to take this uh, long overdue mid-hour break. And uh, we'll be right back. You're listening to Tap Into The Truth. In order to form a more perfect union, to ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. People who profess to be followers of Christ or Christians used to understand what it means to love your enemies. But unfortunately today, many Christians have totally gotten it twisted up. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook brought to you by Constitutional Grounds Coffee. Today, westernized, woke Christianity is being foisted upon millions of unsuspecting sovereign individuals conned into foolishly believing that love your enemy means have no enemies. Because of such utter tomfoolery, vast numbers of professing Christians or believers in Jesus Christ have become morally neutered and hopelessly apathetic towards, and now in many cases, tolerant of unbridled wicked activities now fully engaged and engranged into every aspect 
of our beleaguered republic turned mobocracy. As a result, most Christians are now wimpus Americanus apologeticus and stuck in the ridiculous realms of fear and inaction. The so-called believers in Christ or Christians are go-along to get-along simpletons who no longer know right from wrong or are just cowardly to even train up their children in the way that they should go. Mm. I'm Ron Edwards. Find out where to tune into the Ron Edwards American Experience talk show. Go to theronedwards.com. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. Let's set the record straight. There's no argument over the choice between peace and war. But there's only one guaranteed way you can have peace, and you can have it in the next second. Surrender. Admittedly, there's a risk in any course we follow other than this. But every lesson in history tells us that the greater risk lies in appeasement. And this is a specter our well-meaning Christian liberal friends, our our priests, bishops, and pastors refuse to face, that their policy of accommodation is appeasement. And it gives us no choice between peace and war, only between fight and surrender. If we continue to accommodate, continue to back and retreat, eventually we will have to face the final demand, the final ultimatum. And what then? When Satan has told the people of this world, he knows what our answer is going to be. He has told them that we're retreating under the pressure of his cold war. And someday when the time is right to deliver his final ultimatum, our surrender will be voluntary because you see by then we will have been so weakened from within spiritually, morally, economically. He believes this because from our side, he's heard voices pleading for peace at any price or better read than dead. Or as one commentator put it, he'd rather live on his knees than die on his feet. And therein lies the road to war because those voices don't speak for the rest of us. You and I know it and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Ridge have refused to fire the shot heard around the world? The martyrs of history were not fools and our beloved dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis did not die in vain. Where then lies the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all that you and I have the courage to tell our enemies there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which evil must not advance. In the words of Reagan, evil is powerless if the good are unafraid. Constitutional grounds, the hot air roasted coffee that produces a smoother, richer, healthier and less acidic coffee. Our unique hot air roasted coffee has a most delicious taste that everyone is raving about. Because you want the best, Constitutional Grounds is the coffee you want in your cup. Simply go to theronedwards.com and click on to the Constitutional Grounds coffee display to make your purchase. And to be sure to use the RE20 promo code and you will receive a 20% discount. Remember, Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you want in your cup. And while you're drinking your Constitutional Grounds coffee, you might want to do it outdoors. Look, if there's anything that is as good or almost as good as camping and doing outdoor activities, grilling outdoors uh, during the summer, well, it's doing it during autumn. When it is fall, uh, the the air is getting a little cooler, a little crisper, it's it's a different feel. It's not cold yet. And guess what? You look around, it's fall, guys. Summer's over. I, I hate it too. But there's still time to go outdoors, to build memories with family and friends, to to find some way to escape from the craziness that is everyday life, especially under the current regime. You know who can help you with that? 
Well, you know, I mentioned blue coolers back in the first hour. I'm going to throw out the idea of getting a, a quick visit over to Fire and Flavor. They've got the Hero Grill system that is the solution to easy on-the-go outdoor grilling. It is the fastest, easiest, cleanest, and eco-friendliest way to go about it. It's great stuff. They've got everything that you would need, including the Hero Grill system, special briquettes, and a ton of recipes and ideas. Just take your uh, outdoor fun on the go and continue to grill. There's still time to get out and enjoy the fall and to do this. Uh, follow the link in the show description or come visit me at tapintothetruth.com. That's T-A-P-P into the truth.com. And uh, click on one of the banners and visit the fine folks over at Fire and Flavor. You're listening to Tap Into The Truth. Hey, Joe. They say building back better make America great. If that's a wave of the future, all I've got to say. Stick your progress where the sun don't shine. Keep your big mess away from me and mine. If you leave us alone, well, we'd all be just fine. I know I'd be fine if uh, barely there Beijing Biden would just go away. Just just go away, Joe. Uh, of course, we're still going to need some of his other cohorts to go away as well. All right, we got a few minutes left, and I really want to, uh, after spending so much time talking about this analysis uh, from a actual uh, scientist looking at these studies, want to spend some time uh, patting you guys on the back. You're doing great out there. We saw what happened in Virginia when parents decided to pull together and stand up to the school boards and say, uh, these are our kids, and we want you to uh, instill values that we agree with and not just all this woke nonsense. Then you stood up and you got the point across to the folks over at the Vanderbilt uh, Clinic and saying, hey, you know what? Stop doing this surgical mutilation and chemical castration to kids, it's not right, especially when you're ignoring your Hippocratic Oath and just trying to make a profit, and then threatening doctors that are willing to stand up and say, uh, guys, I kind of have a problem with this. Well, then you can work somewhere else. Well, you're continuing to do it, and you need to keep doing it. In fact, got a quick story about parents that are leading a protest against medical transition of minors outside of a California pediatrics convention. And these guys are actually showing some courage because in a state like California, Gavin Newsom would probably send these folks to Guantanamo if he had access. But a parent-led group organized a protest outside of the American Academy of Pediatrics conference that was taking place in Southern California this past Saturday in order to object to the medical transition of trans-identifying minors, a position that the AAP has uncritically adopted. In fact, they're one of the groups that sent the letter to the Justice Department wanting to crack down on people like me for having the nerve to report on the stories that they're doing this. 
although they were really complaining more about Matt Walsh. I, any t opportunity I have to lump myself into the same category with Matt Walsh, or actually anybody over at the Daily Wire as far as that's concerned, uh, <laughs> even Michael Knowles, despite how the rest of the group talks about him, I actually kind of like Michael Knowles, but uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, they... It's it's it takes an act of courage here in California. But more than a hundred and fifty that's a pretty good number, guys. More than a hundred and fifty peaceful protesters belonging to the first do no harm unity rally wore matching purple t shirts and carried signs outside of the Anaheim Convention Center where the AAP's October 7th through 11th annual conference was taking place. Quoting here, our mission was to speak with doctors and educate them. This from Aaron Friday, the organizer of the rally, who put together brochures of information to hand out to the doctors attending the conference. Representatives from the organization advocate protecting children Gays Against Groomers, Lesbians United, Mom Army, Our Duty, Partners for Ethical Care, and GenSpec all attended the demonstration. So these folks were pretty well represented, as well as the parents that were leading the charge. Back to quoting uh, from Miss Friday, quote, I was disappointed in the fact that the AAP leadership told their participants to steer clear of us. Now, they were obviously hoping to interact more with the positions at the conference. Continuing the quote, But we did manage to send a team over to a separate section away from the rest of the protesters that handed out bags full of information to the doctors. Now, did they read any of this? Not likely. Doctors uh, typically like to think that they're not having to be educated by lay people. Anyway, at noon, the protesters gathered on the sidewalk near a hotel parking lot to hear from the scheduled speakers, which was live-streamed online. Counter-protesters began shouting insults and mocking Abigail Martinez, their first speaker, who tearfully shared the story about how her teenage daughter was taken from her custody after adopting a transgender identity and eventually committed suicide after beginning to medically transition. Gee, weren't we just talking about that? To avoid further escalation with the counter-protesters, who were becoming increasingly more hostile, Friday then announced that the group would be enacting Plan B, which, you know, Plan B, probably not the best thing to call that, all things considered. But anyway, the group picked up their signs and they moved indoors to a conference room in the Carlton Hotel, where the live stream resumed. Counter-protesters tried to access the conference room, but were stopped by hotel security. So, you know, good job, hotel security. Inside the conference room, the scheduled speakers commenced with their talks. Uh, Abel Garcia, Cleo Cole, Kat Catterson, some of these names sound a little made up, and Scott uh, Nugent, all spoke with their medical transition journeys that 
ultimately led them to regret their decision and caused them to speak publicly about the doctors who rushed to affirm their trans identities. Cole was an 18-year-old young woman who began puberty blockers and testosterone at 13 and had a double mastectomy at 50 on the advice of her doctors, uh, announced new support network and advocacy group that she had formed for detransitioners called Detrans United, which we've talked a little bit about recently, but you've probably heard a lot more on other uh, outlets. Cole read aloud a letter addressed to Attorney General Merrick Garland, or as I think we probably more appropriately should call him, Meritless Garland. Uh, this uh, letter, signed on behalf of Detrans United, that was written in response to a letter sent the previous week from the uh, AAP, the American Medical Association and Children's Hospital Association, urging Garland to investigate and prosecute high-profile individuals who claimed they were spreading disinformation about gender-affirming medical care. Now, this continued. The other speakers came up. The bottom line here is these folks stood up they said what needed to be said, and they spoke truth. They wanted to make sure that every pediatric doctor that was there knew that these folks had pulled together, had come together to stand in opposition to the idea of transitioning children. Hopefully, that showing of action was enough to at least get inside the heads of a few of these folks who are maybe on the fence. And maybe they'll decide to go back to taking their Hippocratic Oath more seriously. First, do no harm. The evidence shows that no good is coming from it, and that some harm is certainly being done. And that's just if you only look at bits and pieces. From what I'm seeing, the evidence, the evidence-based results, shows a lot of harm being done. But they're never going to admit to that, not at this stage. Kudos to the parents stepping up, doing what you Guys, keep it up. Keep it up. They don't like it, but we're winning. That's going to have to be it for today. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, for being here. Don't forget to go visit the websites uh, pointed out by Duff. Carol Lieberman earlier. Uh, check out some of her books. And, uh, you know, in the meanwhile, don't take my word for it. Definitely, definitely don't take their words for it. Be prepared to put in some effort. And most importantly, use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. Um, one last message for Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. before I go. This is Tim Tapp. Let's go, Brandon. Hey.
control is using both hands. Founders knew the Second Amendment was the final one to keep. To hold our other rights intact so we'd never become sheep. Stalin, Hitler, Mao, Amin, and Pol Pot. They told us things that you never forgot. Lessons to your daughters and sons To fear the government that fears your guns Now the new world order crew Well, they're making their demands They don't feel safe if you are armed You say gun control Is using both hands Evil is powerless if the good are unafraid. 